Hi, it's Nahani Rouse. Welcome back to Can We Talk, the podcast of the Jewish Women's Archive, where gender, history, and Jewish culture meet. Listen to this. This is our 50th episode. We've been through two historic presidential elections, nearly four years of the Trump administration, and nine months of this global pandemic. It's been hard, but we made it, and we're still here. We're going to mark this milestone with a series of episodes on creativity in this challenging and uncertain time. We'll kick it off with someone whose goal in life is to help people laugh. A lot of people say, you know, they're Zoomed out or or whatever. I I love Zoom. I've attended a funeral on Zoom. I do stand up on Zoom. I got married on Zoom. It's a question about Zoom that is not frequently asked enough, I don't think. Do we know for sure that it is pronounced Zoom? We haven't seen each other. What if it's actually pronounced Zoom? We don't know. (laughs) First of all, during quarantine, I can't sleep at all. I take melatonin. I take Benadryl. Absolutely. (laughs) That's stand-up comedian Liz Glazer. Six years ago, Liz left a successful career as a tenured law professor to pursue comedy full-time. Lately, during the pandemic, she's been doing her sets over Zoom, and she says that it's actually been enlightening. So how is doing Zoom stand-up different from real life stuff? Oh, for me, it's the same. Um, How how does that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, silent audiences. Uh, Yeah, I'm very familiar with those. No, it's it's different. It's different. I mean, it's uh, I've done and I have scheduled shows where I won't see the audience at all, and so I think that what it's allowed me to kind of hone more is my trust in myself, like my trust that even if someone, you know, isn't laughing, um, A, hopefully they are, and I can just trust that they are. Um, But B, it's kind of like trusting that I have something to say and I've been doing comedy for long enough that like, it's not the case that every punchline lands and that I'm always funny, but I've gotten better at being funny over the past seven plus years. And so if I don't, hear a specific laugh? Can I trust that a joke that I've been working on and has worked in front of live audiences and Zoom audiences that I could see and hear is going to be working in a webinar where I can't see the audience? I think I can, you know, Mm. trust that. Mm -hmm. Is it as much fun? Um, uh, yeah, like it's different fun for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I think that this time right now, quarantine, COVID, you know, there's a lot that's wrong and tragic and it's awful. And there are elements of this time that can be useful and helpful. Um, And I I think that I'm going to remember this time for the ways that it was different that rather than like my trying to make it the same. And so I'm not in a rush to get back on stage. Uh, I don't feel like, oh, I, I miss it so much and I can't live without it because I, I'm comfortable with living in this mode for right now because that is the safest most socially conscious thing. <laughs> I heard, you know, in addition to the meat grinding, a couple of coughs on the Zoom. 
Coughing isn't exactly an activity you want to do out loud these days. I feel like coughing during COVID, yeah. it's like the new masturbation. You know, you want to cough, you better make sure that you're inside, door closed, nobody can hear that. Right? And once you're done, right away, wash your hands. Then do you done. think of your role any differently now? Yeah. Uh, in a way that I think I should have before, or I could have before. Uh, so specifically, if I'm doing a comedy show now, I realize that like people need the laughter and I can give them laughter. And it's so much less about, did I do good? You know, did I bomb or did I have a great set? Uh, but did I make these people's day better? Um, and I think that that's really something that I can take with me beyond the pandemic, I hope. Um, into Joe Biden's presidency, but uh, <laughs> I like, like that is what it's about. And in the same way that, you know, it's been a goal of my comedy self and real self, you know, and, you know, to, to one, to integrate those two, but also to be as kind as I possibly can be. So too, can I think about my comedy that way? Now I do because the world is what it is now, but I think I could, Anyway, so Liz, let's back up and talk about how you got into this world in the first place. You left a successful career as a tenured law professor to pursue your comedy full time. How, how did you get started? I took this improv class, had a, a crush on the instructor, and then three years later reconnected with her. She was no longer teaching improv classes, but I was like, would you do like one-on-one -on -one improv, which sounds like it might have some sort of innuendo and I don't mean it that way. Um, I really was just like, I think everything you do is amazing and I want to like be around you and learn from you. Um, and she was like, have you ever thought of doing stand-up comedy? And I said, no. And she said, well, would you do stand-up comedy on my show? And I, I, like, if she was like, would you jump off of this bridge? I don't know that I would have done that exactly, but like, if she was at the bridge, I would definitely show up. And so <laughs> when she asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, are you gonna be there? Sure, I'll come. <laughs> and so, and you know, of course, like the irony is like starting this, anything to do with comedy, which was supposed to be goal-less, then turns out to be, you know, the thing that I'm doing with my, my whole life. I was a law professor. Um, that's the typical route to stand-up comedy, by the way. Generally speaking, you go to law school for three years, practice for two, teach for nine, get tenure, give it all up, and do stand-up comedy. Um, I mean, you, you must have always been kind of funny. I guess I was always interested in, like deeply interested in the details of my own life specifically. And I think that I was found funny by people who were like, well, you're weird. Um, and so, so I had that. And then, you know, I grew up in a family with I mean, my dad was very funny because he wasn't trying to be. Um, my dad was of Latvian descent and had, you know, an accent that like 
uh, I don't know, he sounded like he arrived in the country minutes before you ever spoke to him. And he was like always, like he, he had elements of him that were funny, but it was more just like this guy, you know? And, and I think that that kind of looking around the dinner table at my brother and my mother, um, to some degree being like, isn't daddy just hilarious was a feature of the way that I was funny. Just sort of like being inside of a situation and sort of looking for someone in the room to make eyes with not, I mean, I guess that is to some degree at the expense of someone, but like lovingly at someone's expense in the sense that they're just being ridiculous or weird or whatever. And then my mother has terrific comedic timing. And I think that any, any like joke that I write or land a punchline, like my mother is not a comedian by trade. She's a retired teacher, but she is the funniest. And I pick up the phone and I'm like, mommy, I, I'm gonna leave my job. I'm gonna be a stand-up comedian like forever. And she was not thrilled. She was like, Elizabeth. And my name is Liz, but my parents are Jews and it's like they paid for every letter. And vowels are expensive, the wheel watchers know. She was like, Elizabeth, stand-up comedy. What are you gonna do for money? And I didn't like that, so I just fired right back. I was like, well, mommy. <laughs> Mommy, I could prostitute. <laughs> and she didn't like that, so she went next. She was like, oh, Elizabeth, I'm sure that would work. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I was like, my mommy doesn't think I could prostitute? I would be an excellent prostitute. What does my mommy know from how I am in these streets? I have tender. Do you know how many people want that in a prostitute? Like you, you were really on your way and you invested a lot like that. How, how did your, I mean, first of all, there's like, how did you feel about walking away from all that? And then, and then also how did your parents feel? I know that's something you've talked about. It was a combination of very sure and very afraid, which is a space that is not wholly unfamiliar to me, certainly now, but I think that that's, that's a space that, I don't know, like whenever I've like made a decision, like coming out as a lesbian is another example where I'm kind of like, yeah, I get the sense that this goes against the grain in some way. And for me, that was my parents and school because I went to Orthodox Jewish day school from first until 12th grade and, you know, continue to remain friends with, with people from that time in my life. And so there were a lot of signals around me that were like, this is the way, do the way. And then I departed from that way. Yeah, I, I don't know for sure what my life is going to look like. Like when I came out as a lesbian, I didn't know that I would meet an amazing woman and get to become a Rebbitzin. Like if you had told me that, I, I'd never have been straight, you know? <laughs> and similarly, you know, it's like, okay, if, if you had told me when I was like applying to law school or going to college and thinking about what I want to study, like you could just be a comedian. Yeah, you could be on television. Like what? Yeah, of course I'm going to do that. But I started with the sort of rough approximation or like what 
you know, I've heard in Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, like a shadow career or whatever. And it's like, yeah, of course, I was like setting up this punchline, maybe. But I didn't know that at the time. And so, yeah, it seems to be becoming more of a reality. And so in, in both the professional and the personal realms for me, I've had moments where it was pretty okay. And then as a result of that, I dreamt bigger and leapt in order to, you know, do something else. Which was harder? I mean, I guess probably the sexual orientation piece was harder. I felt like I was really rocking the world of my parents um, and disappointing them. And certainly, I mean, I think my parents, you know, in, in wanting me to have a profession and a career like law, you know, I'm a descendant of Holocaust survivors on both sides. And I feel like that trauma was inherited by my parents such that they thought the Nazis were going to come for them directly if I didn't go to law school. And so I, I really think that leaving the, the job and the world was a rocking of the world in, in a way. Um, but I don't think in kind of a core way as, you know, hey, I'm a lesbian was. She's like, you used to date men, okay? And I should just tell you guys this, okay? I did kind of used to date. I had a boyfriend in college. Three and a half years, we dated. It was a long time ago, but it happened, okay? Which is a side note. Sometimes people ask me about that relationship. They're like, were you faking it? Were you faking that? I'm like, it was three and a half years long. What do you think? I'm like the Daniel Day-Lewis of heterosexuality? <laughs> yes, I was faking it. Anyway. I've been at this point pursuing comedy as a goal, as a career, as a thing that I do on purpose for seven plus years. And then when you start, or at least my experience has been, when I've started trying to be intentionally funny, yeah, I've gotten better at it, but I've also gotten further away in some moments from the root of what made me funny in the first place. And I feel like, especially in, in these times, I've been, you know, reconnecting with that. How do you describe that? What, what, ha what do you feel like you've reconnected with during these times? I think that, like, in constructing for myself a stage persona to the extent that one does such a thing on purpose it, you know I've, I've tried to remain connected to that kindness and also to remember that like i i was getting up in front of people and saying stuff before you know it just happened to be about you know very hilarious topics like the rule against perpetuities or adverse possession um but like now you know, I can just say whatever I want. I can talk about myself. And if I'm going to do that, I want to to make that be as close to the person who I am amongst my closest friends and family as I can be. Do, do you find that's hard? Oh, yeah. It's deeply hard. And it's like, there's an irony that it's hard because it's kind of like, you know, there's the the thing of just like, be yourself as though that's an easy thing to be, and I'm certainly not the first person to, you know, like muse on the difficulty of, of being that, especially in situations that are high stakes. And, and I think maybe that's the core of how I'm funny or why I want to be funny is like, 
I've always had like gaffes and mishaps and things that I've been embarrassed of and afraid to talk about. And I think I love comedy because it gives those moments a place and me a voice to talk about things that I otherwise would have been ashamed about. I don't think that I'm like very good at being a lesbian. Like I'm not like a typical lesbian. I mean, I guess like in some ways I am. Like I have cats. Yeah. I have 200,000. We live in a U-Haul together in my ex-girlfriend's driveway where she lives with her ex other ex-girlfriend. Um, so... I want to go back to what you were saying about your comedy being kind, because that's just so different from most of the comedy world. Um, Joan Rivers is, you know, is sort of one of your heroes. We, we did two... Um, episodes about her comedy too and we get the name of our show from her classic punchline um but Joan Rivers was sort of like anything but kind in her in her at least in in her public facing um persona so how do you kind of like what what do you like so much about her comedy and what inspires you about her you know, I'm not here to speak for Joan Rivers or to act as her lawyer. Um, uh, and I find, by the way, that like, you know, the fact that I'm a lawyer, like I still say things like allegedly and, um, you know, it, it doesn't leave your body. Um, but certainly Joan Rivers does not need me to advocate on her behalf. But like one thing I think is possible in terms of her legacy is that she might have been understood to be meaner than she actually was. But leaving that to one side, again, a thing a lawyer might say, um, I think that I, I was attracted to Joan Rivers, which that happened after I did comedy. I did comedy and you know I loved it so much. I told my therapist after I did comedy for the first time, I was like, I felt like I had a professional orgasm, which was basically a regular orgasm, but I was 100% sure that it happened. And like, I have to <laughs> you know, pursue this thing. And then I'm a student and, and I'm good at being an academic, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to study. I need a mentor. That's something that would be good. And so I, you know, I remember Joan Rivers from the Muppets. Um, and so I was like, great. Uh, and I started listening to her comedy and I was like, she is truthful. And yes, of course she's funny. Um, but what I, what I resonated the most with was that she was desirous of being the most honest, the most truthful on stage. And it felt to me like that was the thing about her comedy that I, that I noticed the most. Um, and so, uh, at the time, um, I was also into Amy Schumer a lot for the same reason, you know, just that like, those were people who were really doing stuff that was the most honest and they were both blonde, um, which is not something that matters, but it does occur to me in the moment. And as a lawyer, I need to state all of the reasons that the people in the examples I've just given are similar. Is there something about her also being a Jewish woman comic that resonates for you? I think so. I think it, yeah. And that was another thank you for also picking up on the other similarity <laughs> between those women. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I think so. And um, I don't know if that's an unconscious subconscious thing that I was picking up on or whether it was more direct, but certainly I identify as a Jewish woman and am very proud of that. I think it informs my life, my truth telling, my comedy. So sure. 
I married a rabbi, okay, lesbian. I married a rabbi. I know what you're thinking. I do. I braid her long beard every night before bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a mustache. No, but when I came out, my parents were really upset. Then I start dating a rabbi. They're like, hold on, we're proud. And so, you know, everybody's happy. They're like, we can show off about you at Temple. This is why we're Jews. And I found out recently one of the perks marrying a rabbi it's totally stereotypical on the nose but it's true we get free graves Graves, like i actually i asked my wife i'm like oh we have she's like we get them for free i'm like free rent for all of eternity Liz Glazer is a writer, comedian, and actor. She's working on a television series documenting her life and comedy career. You can find her online at dearlizglazer.com. Thank you for joining us for Can We Talk, the podcast of the Jewish Women's Archive. This episode was produced by Ariella Markowitz and me. Thanks also to Ariella Mortkowitz, different person, I swear. Our team also includes Judith Rosenbaum and Becky Long. Our theme music is by Girls in Trouble. Join us for the next in our series on creativity in pandemic times. And if you didn't catch our episodes on Joan Rivers, you can find them, along with all of our previous episodes, at jwa.org slash canwetalk and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes and share your favorite episodes with your friends so that others can find us. I'm your host, Nahani Rouse. Until next time.